0: Well, if you were with us last week, you remember that we took a look at verses 15 and 16. And in verses 15 and 16 of Second Peter chapter 3, you notice that we took a look at two ways in which the Word of God is approached. We saw the nature of Scripture and the way the godly approach the Word of God. And we took a look at the nature of Scripture and the way that the ungodly approach the Word of God. And we saw by way of the godly approach to Scripture that the, that the Christian, the godly understands that the word of God has a particular characteristic to it. And that was found there in the 15th verse. Look at the 15th verse. Uh, again, chapter, uh, chapter 3. I'm sorry, uh, verse 16 is what I meant to draw your attention to. Uh, verse uh, 16, in which the, uh, the apostle Peter says this. In which some things are hard to be understood, in which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do the other Scriptures. Unto their own destruction. And what we saw again in this passage of Scripture is that the ungodly make a use of the Scripture which is actually destructive to their own soul. Rather than taking the Scripture as it's intended, a wisdom from God given in order that you and I might be saved, the ungodly take the Scripture and they twist it. They rest it, in the words of the King James. And you remember what that word rest means it means to stretch out. In a sense, it almost means the torture. And what we saw last week was that some men make a very torturous use of the scripture, which in the end benefits neither their soul nor those who hear them. But on the other hand, how are the scriptures used by the godly? The godly embrace the scripture as the very wisdom of God from heaven. It is a wisdom that is given in the scriptures in order that you and I might be made wise in the salvation. And that was one of the things that we gave some emphasis to last week. That the scriptures are that revelation of God given in order that you and I might be wise in the salvation. And we were giving some exhortations and some challenges last week. And the exhortation and the challenge was this. Have you received the word of God in such a way as to make you wise in the salvation? Not only have you received the word of God to give you instruction for life. Not only have you received the word of God as to teach you morally right and wrong. Not only have you received the word of God, is to, to create within you some, some good and firm and stable qualities and characteristics. But have you embraced the word of God in order to make you wise in salvation? You remember what Paul said to, to, to uh, young Timothy, that you have known the scriptures from your youth, which are able to make thee wise in salvation. So I ask those of us who have known the scriptures from our youth, have the scriptures made us wise in salvation? You see, this is the very purpose of the giving of the word of God. And so what we're going to see here today is that as the scriptures are given for the purpose of making us wise in the salvation, we're also going to see here today that there is a call to be steadfast and to be firm and to be stable in this faith that we profess. Now, again, I have to say this by way of challenge. Have you professed this faith in Jesus Christ? You see, over and over throughout this uh, study of this epistle, you know what my appeal has been. My appeal has been for you to consider Jesus Christ as loving you. My appeal has been for you to consider Jesus Christ as dying for your sins. My appeal has been for you to consider Jesus Christ as the one who loved your soul as no other could love your soul. Oh, have you received this Savior for salvation? And what we're seeing here, Peter now doing this as he closes out this epistle, he is calling each and every one of us, to a certain firmness and steadfastness in our faith. And so what we'll see here today is this, is that the Word of God calls us to be steadfast in the faith in which we profess. But the other thing that we will see as we begin to unfold this passage of Scripture is the following. And the following is this, that the influence of wicked and ungodly persons are a great threat to the faith of the Christians. I'll say that again, that the influence of wicked and ungodly persons are a great threat to the faith of the Christian. Why do I say that? Look here again at verse 17, and we'll only be considering verse 17 today, but look at verse 17. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that you know these things, beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. The error of the wicked. I think some other translations say things along this line, along these lines. Uh, the error of unprincipled men. And what we're going to see as we open up this passage of Scripture that uh, the error of the wicked, and the wicked here is really a reference to men who have no principles by way of the teaching of Scripture. And we've seen unprincipled men in this, in, in this epistle, haven't we? We've seen unprincipled men in chapter two, false teachers, who so twist the word of God in order that they are not concerned about you. They're concerned about your things. And when it's all said and done, they are not so much seeking to draw your soul closer to God. They're seeking to get closer to you in order to have something of your goods. unprincipled men. We've also seen the warning of, uh, of these mockers and these scoffers. Uh, who, who, uh, who come in our day. And what do they do? They make little of the word of God. They dismiss the word of God at every chance they have. Oh, you see this this promise that you're looking for, for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. How long are you going to hold on to that? Don't you see that things go on as they always gone, as they have always gone on? And so these unprincipled men, again, a great threat to the life of the Christian. And that's why Peter, in these closing exhortations, calls you and he calls me to a particular steadfastness of faith so I want you to consider with me this quality, this essential quality of steadfastness in the life of the Christian. You know, it's very interesting when we take a look at uh, what faith is. We understand that faith in one sense is very simply the resting or the repose of the soul upon the promises of God. What a wonderful picture of faith. There you are in all the turbulence of life, all the ups and downs. And there is this thing, there is this thing called faith which has been exercised in your soul, which causes you to rest peacefully in the person of Jesus Christ. The person of Christ, that that beautiful person of Jesus Christ whose face is drawn out on the pages of Scripture. I've said before, I've never seen a real picture of Jesus Christ, but I've seen a beautiful picture of Him on the pages of Holy Scripture. Aren't you glad you can look into the Word of God and see something of this great and this loving and this precious Savior? And what does faith do? Faith rests in this one. And so what I want you to see and understand is that this faith, again, is something that not only is this resting and repose of the soul, this faith has certain qualities and characteristics that go along with it. And one of the qualities and one of the characteristics that are to go along with faith is a particular steadfastness, a holding firm, a holding on, a determination to to keep on the way that God has called us to. And I think that when we take a look in the word of God over and over again, we're going to see that there is this call to this steadfastness. And the reason why it's interesting that we uh, consider this uh, idea of steadfastness almost as an idea before we develop the text. And that's kind of what we're going to be doing today. We're going to develop the idea of steadfastness for a little bit before we actually develop the text. But one of the reasons why we have to develop the idea of steadfastness and consider what the scriptures say about us because we see over and over again in the word of God. And we know by way of life experience, as I said before, that there are certain people whose influence is detrimental to our spiritual well-being. There are certain people who do you no spiritual good. They may not mean to do you no spiritual good, but they do you no spiritual good. And you need to be aware of that. And that's exactly what Peter is saying. Beware lest ye being led astray with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. I think we see this kind of a, uh, this kind of a, a thought uh, given to us a number of times in scripture. You know, uh, Paul puts it very uh, simply in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, uh, verse 33, a passage of scripture that many of us as young people have learned. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, uh, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals bad company corrupts good morals there are certain people who do your soul no good Amen. we have the, the the warning of our lord jesus christ in matthew chapter 24 uh, verse uh, 24 he says this for there shall arise false christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch as if it were possible that they shall deceive the very elect if it were possible to deceive the very elect you see deception is a is a very real threat to the life of the christian and so what we need to do is we need to be steadfast in the faith, holding firm in the faith. And this is exactly what the Apostle Peter calls us to. Now again, as I, as I said before, wicked and ungodly persons are a perennial threat to the Christian spiritual well-being. And we are repeatedly warned against coming under their influence. And while the scripture calls us to do good to all men, it doesn't call us to be influenced by all men. You understand the difference? We're to do good to all men. You're to seek out opportunities to do that which is good, right, just, uh, just and compassionate. But you're not to be influenced by all men. And this is why David says in the Psalms, again, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. There is some counsel that you have no business listening to, to my brothers and sisters. And of course, the same for me. And so again, this idea of remaining steadfast. Now there's something something of a tension here, I have to say. And the tension is essentially this. When an individual comes to true saving faith in Jesus Christ, there is a promise of security that goes along with that profession of faith. The wonderful passage of scripture of our Lord Jesus Christ, when he says there in John chapter 10, verse 20, uh, verse 28, uh, I'm sorry, here, John chapter uh, 10, uh, verse 28. And he says, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. What a wonderful promise. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Oh, we thank God that this security undergirds the Christian. And yet at the same time, there are these warnings against the threats to the life of the Christian, to the the spiritual well-being of the Christian. What do we see happening here? What's very interesting that what we see throughout all of Scripture is this, is that God has ordained that your perseverance in in the Christian faith that your persistence in holiness and godliness, that your continued cherishing and enjoyment of the life that God has given to you in a very real way involves with it an active taking up of the well-being of your soul, an act of taking up of the concern for what is happening within your mind and within your soul. You've heard me say this before. There are certain thoughts that have no business being in our head. Why is that? Because those thoughts do us no good. There are certain activities that we have no business being engaged in. Why? Because those activities do us no spiritual good. And so again, the well-being of our soul is very important. And we must, again, engage the Christian life with a particular steadfastness to re- to, to remain uh, in the faith that God has so graciously planted within our souls. And again, this is what we see. Again, the, the passages that we read this morning from Hebrews 3 and 1 Corinthians 15 emphasize steadfastness. Hebrews 3 verse 6 once again, it says, but Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. The word there, firm unto the end, has the idea of steadfastness. Again, uh, 2 Peter chapter uh, 1 verse 10, a passage that we already looked at, again, speaks about the idea of making our calling and election sure. So again, we are called to a steadfastness of heart and soul. We are called to a particular stability and a particular firmness in our Christian convictions that we must always weigh against the influences that we are experiencing in the life in which we live. Well, as I said before, by way of this gracious activity of God to to make God's people steadfast, you and I must understand that steadfastness is first and foremost a quality within God that he works within the hearts of all of his children who have been given a new nature through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so the nature of steadfastness and the the quality of steadfastness and the nature of God, can I say it this way, filters down into the lives of his people. You look at Psalm 136, a psalm which again in uh, uh, in the ESV speaks about God's steadfast love. Psalm 136, over and over, God's steadfast love, God's steadfast love, God's steadfast love. It's it's, it's the focus of an entire psalm. But that same steadfastness, God works in us. And isn't this something that we see about the Christian life that just really, in one sense, uh, kind of just, just, just enraptures our thinking? That what we find in the Christian life is not merely a me holding on to the promises of God, but the power of God holding on to me. I love that thought. There I am in my weakness. There's something underneath. There I am in my, in my, and sometimes my doubts. And there's a voice from the word of God speaking clearly. There I am in all of my tops and turvy uh, experiences of life. And there's the word of God as an anchor to the soul. And so again, what we see throughout the scriptures constantly is this, is that the Christian life is a life wherein the power of God is actually being worked into the individual Oh, have you experienced that power? Have you experienced the power of God God's working in you? Have you experienced the power that when you look back and you say, you know what, this wasn't me. This was God working in and through me. Look at these passages of scripture. Philippians chapter two, verse 13. For it is God that worketh in you. It's not merely working upon you. Thank God for that. It's not not merely uh, uh, undergirding you. Thank God for that. God's working in you. He's, he's, in, he's in all the, 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 the very matter of who you are. Another passage of Scripture, First Thessalonians 2.13, For this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God which he heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Which effectually worketh also in you that believe. That word effectually, what does it mean? It means powerfully. It means it's sufficient to the cause. It means it accomplishes all that which is intended for it to accomplish. Oh, the effectual working of the word of God. You see, if I can say it this way, why do we come to hear the word of God being preached? You don't have a great storyteller up here. You come to hear the word of God in order that the word of God might effectually work in you. That's what you want. You want to leave this place as a different person. You want the power of God active in your life and it's able to do it. And this is why Peter is saying, listen, don't be moved away by the error of the wicked. Don't allow an error to enter the mind that will weaken the will and steadfastness. And there's a particular order there. Oftentimes, Christians leave off their steadfastness because they first embrace an error. No man, no woman, no person defects from the Christian faith who is not first embraced a faulty idea that ultimately weakened the will to resolve. You see, you see, understand this. Understand this. You give up the will to fight before you give up in the fight. You give up the will to fight before you give up in the fight. And what God is calling us to is this a resolve to will to go on by the grace of God, come what may against us, to remain faithful to the glory of God, to see God's glory at the end. What glory God will get when the likes of you and me end up in heaven. And I mean it, I I mean it just the way I said it. What glory God will get when the likes of you and me end up in heaven people might look around and say, what are you doing up here? Say, Well, it was, the, it was the grace of God and nothing else that got me up here. And so again, the idea now is to remain steadfast in this faith that God has so graciously granted to us. So, so much about the, the general idea of uh, the concept of steadfastness. Now what I want to do is I, I want to work this, uh, this idea out from the passage of Scripture in front of us, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. And what I want you to see from the passage of Scripture is, uh, is three things. We've already somewhat touched on the first but three general things. Number one, we're going to take a look at steadfastness, once again, as an essential quality in the life of the Christian. We'll go very quickly through that. We've already touched on, 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 on most of that. But second thing, secondly, what I want you to see from the text itself, and look at the text here, once again, verse 17. Look at the text, and this is how we're going to outline it. Number one, we're going to see helps to steadfastness of the soul helps to steadfastness. And notice what the helps are here in verse 17. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also being led away with the error. There, there are a number of things here, and I'll delineate them here in a minute, that are helps to steadfastness. And then the second thing we're going to see here are the hindrances to steadfastness. And we'll take a look at that. And the, and the, the primary hindrance uh, to our steadfastness is this error of the wicked, or as some of your translations say, the error of unbelief principled men. Well let's take a look at this again. Steadfastness then as I said before is an essential quality in the life of the Christian. Now you and I are not always as steadfast as we ought to be but we should never use that as an excuse to think that steadfastness is not something that is always expected of the Christian. You and I are called to a steadfast Faith, you and I are called to this particular resolve. And that leads us to the question, how do we understand the word steadfast? What's the best way to, to kind of uh, use words to create something of a picture here so that we can understand it? Well, when we look in our dictionaries, what we see about steadfastness is this. To be steadfast is to be, re- is to be I'm sorry. To be steadfast is to be resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. The word indicates a determination and a loyalty. And if you allow me to say, it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful word for Father's Day. Because this is what we should expect of fathers and men. We should expect of all persons that fathers will remain firm and steadfast. That fathers will remain resolute in the faith. That fathers will not defect or allow themselves to be undermined by error. But that they will remain again as God calls them here to be steadfast. So like I said, it's a very good word for Father's Day. But it's also a good word for, for our ladies to understand as well. In Proverbs uh, chapter 12, verse 4, uh, Solomon writes this. He says, a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. Uh, but Miles Coverdell, though the, the, the English gentleman who, who gave us the first um, uh, English translation of the scripture, says this about Proverbs 12, verse 4. He says, a steadfast woman is a crown to her husband. And man, isn't that the truth? <laughs> man, you know there are times when we're not the men that we ought to be. And some of you have had that great privilege of having your wife say to you, this is what we're going to do. You've determined to do this. You know what God calls you to do here. Isn't it a wonderful thing to be spurred on to godliness and holiness by way of your wife? Amen. I think, oh, Sweetie, you're right. You know, I'm sorry about that. We'll get it right here, you know. But again, thank God that this kind of call can be given. A steadfast woman is a crown to her husband. Well, again, this excellent quality, as I've said before, this excellent quality is emphasized in Scripture as something which is to infuse the whole approach to the Christian life. It isn't just a category that we add, a little compartment that's added on. It's to infuse all that we do. And we see this again. Paul loves it when he sees steadfastness in the lives of those he writes to. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 5, he says this, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Here was this man, this, this Apostle Paul, who if you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he expended much for the well-being of the church. Of course, he was not our Savior who bled and died for him, but he was a faithful under-shepherd who, who if we can say it this way, poured out blood, sweat, and tears for the church. He loved the church. And we're going to see this is one of the great helps to the, to the, to the, to, 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 to the Christian remaining steadfast. One of the great helps of the Christian remaining steadfast are men like the Apostle Paul and men like the Apostle Peter. We'll get to that shortly. But what does Paul say? He says, I, I am joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith. There he was hearing things about that church in Colossae, still standing faithful. Here he was hearing things about that, uh, that church, still doing the work of God. Here he was hearing the things uh, about that church that was saying that the, church, that the that the gospel was not only being established, it was moving out. You see this steadfastness in the faith. 1 Corinthians, again, 15, verse 58. Wonderful passage of scripture. Wonderful passage for preaching on, uh, on, the, uh, on the day of, uh, of resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brother, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, the Christian comes to the end of his days not looking back on work that has already been rewarded for or work that has already been compensated for. The Christian comes to the end of his days looking forward to that great blessing that God will bestow upon him for a life of faithful service to the cause of Jesus Christ. What's your future look like, my brothers and sisters? Is there great blessing awaiting you for that steadfast work and that steadfast faith that you have shown? Or has all your energy has been expended for what's behind you? No wonder people come to the end of their days in despair. But the Christian, you see, I say this with as much caution as I can because by the grace of God I'm not near my dying day. But can't the Christian in some sense, and I have to emphasize in some sense, his dying day is a day of departure from his loved ones. He knows that. His, die, his dying day may be a very painful day. He's aware of that. His dying day may be a day in which there are many things that uh, maybe if he's not fully settled out on his mind, he understands that. But in a very real way, he thinks his dying day is his best day. It's the day that will usher him, into, usher him into the presence of his heavenly Savior. It's the day in which he will hear from the words from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Oh, well, Why not come to the end of your days looking forward to that? In the end of your days, looking back and say, what was it all worth? Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. And so again, this idea of being steadfast in the faith. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14, again, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Oh, this call to steadfastness. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, be sober, be vigilant, be because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he seeking whom he may devour, whom amen. resists steadfast in the faith. Amen. And so again, this quality of steadfast faith is first of all found in God, who then works it into his people. I mentioned Psalm 136 earlier. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good for his steadfast. You know it, amen, for his steadfast love endures forever yes there are challenges to the life of the christian his steadfastness at times seems to waver but when it's all said and done he will not be moved away from this essential fact that steadfastness is a vital quality in the life of the christian that he will always seek to maintain and always seek to strengthen as he goes through his life as i said before an individual falls from his steadfastness before he defects from the faith you see, if you can undermine the, this, this determination to be steadfast, you see, Satan has, done, has gone a very long way to causing us to stumble in the faith. The, the individual oftentimes gives up the will to fight before he gives up in the fight. And be sure that the Christian life is a fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And in the context of Second Peter, it's even a fight against the false teachers and the scoffers. And so, my friends, again, I call you to steadfastness in the life of the Christian faith, and I hope and I pray that not only have you taken up, again, this Christian faith, but I hope and pray that you've also taken up the resolve to be steadfast in this faith. Well, let me give you, again, uh, some helps, if I can put it this way, some helps to steadfastness in the life of the Christian. And the first thing that I would say to you is this, and this is, uh, I hope you'll allow me to to frame this uh, first point along these lines. I'm challenged by what I'm about to say. But I have to say it because I believe it's in the word of God here. The first help to steadfastness in your soul is a caring pastor. Now why do I say that? Because look at what Peter says here in 2 Peter. Ye therefore beloved. You see the first help that these Christians had in their steadfastness was a man of God who cared for them. Ye therefore beloved. Not ye, therefore, you knuckleheads. Not there, ye, therefore, you slow hearts. Well, sometimes, you know, not ye, therefore, you slow hearts. Not, none of these things. Ye, therefore, beloved. Paul takes up the same, same call, doesn't he? In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness. Some of you may have heard me say this before. He who loves you the most I'm sorry, he who loves you, I'm sorry, yes, he who loves you the most calls you to, I'm sorry, he who loves you the best calls you to holiness the most. He who loves you the best calls you to holiness the most. You understand that urging that others give to you and me to stay faithful to God. They're they're doing that not so that they can just get under our skin. They're calling us again to holiness. Why? Because they have the well-being of our soul and mind. And so again, the, the first help that we have by way of, uh, uh, by way of this steadfastness is, again, a, a, a man of God who, who, who loves us. A man of God who himself has been affected by the truth of scripture. And so Peter then is making this appeal to his beloved. These ones to whom Christ has given the, 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 the concern for it within his soul. So again, the first help is a, is a man who loves them, a pastor. Again, who calls them to holiness. The second thing I want you to see here by way of a help to, to our steadfastness is that a knowledge of Scripture. Again, this is really the, the, the direction that Peter is going in. And in one sense, I, I apologize for taking so long to get to this main point. And what Peter is doing is essentially this. Notice again in here verse 17. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that you know these things. You see, a knowledge of Scripture is in one sense the very fuel for steadfastness. How will you stay steadfast in the, in the Christian life? It's by way of a knowledge of the truths of Scripture. Seeing that you know these things. And what things is Peter talking about? Well, he's talking about the things that he's made clear throughout this epistle. You remember what he said about the nature of the Christian life. You remember what he said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-11. through 11. And bear with me as I read these words to you. Peter says this, And besides this, giving all diligence... There's, that, well, there's another word. It's a related word, almost a steadfastness. It's a, it's a, it's a word that means uh, to, 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 to expend energy in. But again, let me get back to the text. And besides all this, giving diligence and your faith virtue, and the virtue knowledge, and the knowledge temperance, and the temperance patience, and the patience godliness, and the godliness brotherly kindness, and the brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say in verse 10, uh, Wherefore, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. What am I saying here? Since you know these things before, what do you know? You know that this is what the Christian life involves. The Christian life is that continual development and addition of graces in the life that fully form out what the spiritual life intended by God for you is. Adding virtue, adding patience, adding kindness, adding knowledge, all these things. And I have to ask you the question, brothers and sisters, how is it going with you on this? Have the words that, have the words from the pages of Scripture laid there? Have they only passed through your eyes? Or have you asked yourself the question, how can I add to my faith virtue? How can I add to virtue knowledge? How can I add to knowledge godly? How can I do these things? Well, you see, there's a sense in which the way you do these things is by being steadfast. In one sense, Peter's coming full circle. He opened the letter with this encouragement. He's closing the letter with this encouragement. The other thing that we see, though, uh, by way of what Peter says when he says, knowing these things, what else do we know? Well, we know that by way of what Peter said, that there are false teachers out there who would distort the word of God to their own ungodly ends. These men, these, these spots and blemishes upon the church, and that's what Peter says they are. Jude says the same thing. These men who would use the word of God to their own ends. Peter writes to the Corinth. Sorry, I'm sorry. Paul writes to the Corinthians, and what does he say? He says, "I don't. I'm, I'm not concerned about the things that you have. I'm concerned about you." The false teachers have it all the way uh, 180 degrees out. The false teachers really don't care about you. They care about your things. And these men, as I said before, are a blight on the church. And again, if you notice, uh, uh, if you notice what uh, what Peter says uh, about these men. Again, but there in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1 and following, but there were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privilege shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them. And again, in many, verse 2, and many shall follow their pernicious ways. You see, this you know this. You know that there are people in the professing church that are not part of the true church of Jesus Christ, in the professing church, that are only attaching itself to the church to see what they can get out of it. And you need to be aware of these men. Thirdly, we see the, 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 the other um, uh, types of men that, that Peter warned us against were these scoffers. And it's interesting that we see here in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 3, Peter says this about these men, these scoffers, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. And you remember, this was the key walking after their own lust. These men walking after their own lust. And you know what's very interesting is that these men, the scoffers, and the false teachers, the false teachers walk according to their flesh. The scoffers walk according to their own lust. In both cases, it's very clear to see what happens. They are prioritizing self over God. And you remember what I've said before. Sometimes, sometimes the, the most thin line between righteousness and ungodliness is, is that decision? Will I glorify God in this moment, or will I gratify self in this moment? What a challenge that is to us. And the way that this is the way that this 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 answer is made for us is by this is by this love that Jesus Christ has for his people, by this love that sings down within the soul. You remember what 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 Joseph said when he was tempted there. How can I how can I sin against God? How can I do this great evil against God? David again, having sinned, what does he say against thee? And thee only have I sinned. There are others involved in the repercussions of a sin. Are the scriptures are not denying that? When well, was all said and done, you see, David understands that he stands as a man before God. Oh, you see, a love for God will take you to the highest heights. A love for Jesus Christ will br- will bring you way beyond what you ever thought you could be. Oh, love the Lord Jesus Christ and love Him in sincerity. I pray. And so again, the nature of the false teachers, the nature of the scoffers, but also what do they know? Again, Peter says, yeah, ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things, what other things? Well, the things that were spoken of by way of the reality of the second coming, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to judge sin. You remember, that. the scoffers deny that. But Peter's saying, you know better than that. Peter says, of course they're going to deny that. All, they, all they're concerned about is living according to their own lust." They're going, to deny, they're going to deny any uh, idea of accountability ultimately before God. But you know better than that. <laughs> you know not only the word of God tells you that. You know in the quietness of your heart, your conscience tells you that. Amen. Some, some of us may not know the scriptures as well as we ought to. But we know that old saying, God don't sleep. You know that he doesn't sleep. You know there's coming a day when God will set all things right and judge. And so what does, what does Peter say here again? He says, he says, you know, again, these men that are out there denying the, the reality of the second coming. What else does the Christian know? Well, the Christian knows what kind of a person he ought to be. Look at Second Peter chapter three verse eleven. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? I hope that appeals to you. I really do. You remember that emphasis on what manner of persons? It's like, what, you remember 1 John chapter 3, verse 1? What Behold what manner of love the Father. And we can kind of loosely translate it like, what kind of a love is this? This is a love outside of this world. And here is Peter, Peter saying to us, what manner of persons ought you to be? What kind of a person ought you to be in light of the realities of Scripture that we see here in front of us? But the last thing I want you to see here is this. What do you know? Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, what do they know? What do you know? You know there are individuals who will twist the scripture. And therefore, beware of these men. Beware of these individuals who will twist and distort the scripture to fulfill their own desires. That's what we are being called against here. And so again, what I'm saying to you is this, the helps to steadfastness is an awareness, number one, not only of a, of a, of a man of God who, who, who is filled with the Spirit and who loves us, uh, number two, a knowledge of the Word of God. But thirdly, and I have to say this, and I know I'm, I'm running kind of long here, but just please if I can ask you to bear with me. Thirdly, what I would say is this, that, in a, that an attention to the warning Of Scripture is important for us as a help to steadfastness. Attention to the warnings of Scripture. You know, again, this is something I think over over a period of time almost begins to fall on dead ears. We're no better sometimes than the unbelievers because we think, well, if God is not manifesting Himself immediately, well, then He's never going to manifest Himself. And that's what the false teachers are saying. He's supposed to be coming for the last 2,000 years and He hasn't come, so that means He's never going to come. And the believers sometimes fall into that kind of faulty thinking. And we think in some way, shape, or form that because God is, is, from our perspective, delaying something, it'll never come to pass. But that is not the case. We give heed to warnings. The scripture warns us over and over again. And again, I won't take the time to go into as much detail as I have in some of these other points. But just listen to some of these warnings. Isaiah chapter 28 verse 12. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Now stop and think of this now. <clears throat> stop and think. You can think, well, what kind of a warning can be coming from a passage like this? This is the rest wherewith ye shall cause the weary to rest. This is a, this is a gracious offer. In one sense, uh, it's kind of interesting how, how Lutheran theologians kind of look into the Old Testament. And they see both law and gospel in the Old Testament. And some of our uh, Lutheran theologians will look at this passage of Scripture and say, this is a gospel. This is a gospel promise. And in a sense, it is. Listen once again. This is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. But notice what God says to the prophet. Yet ye would not hear. Yet ye would not hear. The gracious promise is made. Yet the refusal of the promise. You see the warning not heeded. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. Thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, ye shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. And ye would not. Do you hear the warning? God offers you peace and confidence and quietness and rest. And you say no, you go your own way. And difficulty and unsettledness and and catastrophe comes. Why? Because you would not. You didn't heed the, the warning of Scripture. Jeremiah 29, verse 19, Because they have not hearkened to my word, saith the Lord, which I sent to them by my servants, the prophets rising up early and sending them, but ye would not hear... And then 2 the Chronicles, that passage of scripture that really is a, is a summary of all of, uh, all of the, uh, uh, the refusals uh, uh, throughout the history of the, the, uh, of, of the kingdom to hear the, the warnings of the prophets. Second Chronicles 36, verse, verse 16. But they mocked the messengers of God. They despised his words and they misused his prophets until the wrath of God arose against his people. Listen to this. Till there was no remedy. What an awful passage of scripture, not because there's something less, but what, 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 what dreadful awe it stirs up within us, a warning, a refusal to listen until there was no remedy. I hope in my prayers that that will never be said of any of us. And so again, a man of God who loves the soul, a knowledge of the word of God, a, a willingness, to, to, a willingness uh, to, uh, to, to respond to the warnings of Scripture. Those are the helps to your steadfastness. And I hope and I pray that you will take up every one of those points in order to, again, again uh, resolve within you uh, to be steadfast in this faith. Well, what are the hindrances to, to this steadfastness? And, and again, we, we have to move along somewhat quickly here. But notice again, verse 17. What are the hindrances? And it's right here in the passage of Scripture. And I hope you see that these points that we're making are being, being lifted up right from the passage itself. Ye therefore beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware. There's the there's the helps, and here's the hindrance. Beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. What is the hindrance to your steadfastness? It is the error of the wicked. Or well, what is the error of the wicked here? Well, it's kind of interesting that when we understand the idea the King James says the error of the wicked, some of our newer translations say the error of unprincipled men. The idea is this, is that these are individuals who who will not subject themselves to the authority of Scripture. Not too many of those people around today, right? (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's why we need this warning, brothers and sisters. Because most of our friends, we don't mean to be mean, we don't mean to be harsh, but most of our friends probably don't, care much for the authority of scripture they may be kind enough to respect you for your view of scripture but Peter is saying beware of this you see beware notice what he says here again lest ye be led away I think some of your newer translations say carried away understand what's happening here is this the challenge is directed first of all to the mind But the challenge that is directed to the mind never stays in the mind. The challenge that is directed to the mind has an effect on the will. And what happens essentially is this. When an individual leaves off their steadfastness, they first embrace a faulty idea. And then the effects of that idea so impact the will that the conduct and the final decisions of the individual have become so counter to the teaching of Scripture that that individual is in that place where we have to sadly say he has defected from the faith that he once professed. Oh, so many questions come up. We want to, we want to, we want to patch that plug by saying, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! I can't lose my salvation! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! For whom God, whom God saves, He saves securely." There's the truth in that I will not that's, that's, that's within the fabric of my doctrinal understanding. but within the fabric of the teaching of Scripture is the realization that brothers and sisters, you and I must be about the well-being of our soul. God works in us both the will and the do of his good pleasure. And so he keeps you in his saving power by working affections in your heart for Jesus Christ. He works within you His saving and keeping power by giving you an awareness and a concern and a caution about those ideas that would lead you astray. You see, this whole thing is dynamic. It's not static. We want to say, I made a decision on a certain time and I was put over here in a certain category. And there is this reality of what's sometimes known as positional truth. You're set with Christ in heavenly places. That is true. But being set with Christ in heavenly places, there is a conduct that's consistent with that. And as I said before, every individual whoever ever has defected from the Christian faith was first and foremost led astray by a particular error. or well, secondly, had that error impact his resoluteness concerning his, steadf- his, concerning his steadfastness? And when it was all said and done, he woke up one day and says, what's the use of all this? Why should I go on with this? Those who love you the best call you to holiness the most. My brothers and sisters, I'm sure many of you have better minds, better willpower, better resolve of spirit. But my brothers and sisters, I'm telling you right now, it is the Lord God Almighty who keeps his people. And there is something about these appeals and these warnings in Scripture that makes us see when it's all said and done. If God had not worked, resolve within my soul, where would I be? So my brothers and sisters, once again, take up the call to steadfast faith. As a matter of fact, we come to apply this passage of Scripture. And how do we apply it? Well, there are a number of applications that we have to make here. And the applications are as follows. As I said before, Peter's coming full circle. Verse 10 of chapter 1 If you do these things, you shall never fall. You see, he's coming full circle here. Don't be moved away with the air of the wicked. If you do these things, you'll never fall. There's your security. Secondly, this do not treat lightly the destructive power of a bad idea. Do not treat lightly the destructive power of a bad idea. Ideas have consequences. Bad ideas have bad consequences. Mm -hmm. Number three, no man ever defected from the Christian faith who did not first embrace a wicked error, which then weakened his resolve to remain steadfast. Number four, settle in your mind, therefore, and resolve in your will, never to be led away by the error of the wicked and unprincipled men. But fifthly, what if you have? What if there's been this Weakening of faith. And what if there has been this turning away from what you once professed? What then? Can I take you to Isaiah chapter 40? And can I enter into the to the pathos of the of the passage? Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. And if you've seemed to have let off your steadfastness, I say this to you. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, faints not and neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint. To them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with the wings as eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. To those of you who have fainted in the call to steadfastness, have you not heard? Oh, there is a God who strengthens. There is a God who, again, enables us to do all that he calls us to do. And then you may be asking yourself the question lastly, well, how can I continue in this steadfastness? Again, I bring you back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Understand this, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, again, is the validating point of all the word of God. It is God's declaration. It is God's it is God's uh, 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 making known to men that all that Jesus Christ preached was true. And therefore I say to you what Paul said to his readers. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor in the Lord is not.